Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. this week happened in 1941. But what else happened that year? Well, the Japanese Navy launches a surprise attack on the United States fleet at Pearl Harbor. This resulted in loss of over 2,335 military personnel. In the North Atlantic, the German battleship Bismarck sinks HMS Hood. During the Battle of the Denmark Strait on the 24th of May, Hood was struck by several German shells, exploded and sank within three minutes, with the loss of all but three of her crew of 1,418. Due to her publicly perceived invincibility, the loss deeply affected British morale. The classic American film created by Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, was also released in May of this year. Also in May of 1941, the British Navy captures the German U-boat 110 submarine and removed the naval Enigma machine. The Germans did not know that the machine was intercepted as the British sunk the U-boat after retrieving it. So it must have been a bit of a shock for them when they realised that the Enigma code used by the German army to direct ground-to-air operations on the Eastern Front was deciphered by British cryptologists, who had used some of the weaknesses of the Enigma machine itself to figure out how to break the code, but mostly relied on German user error of the machines to help determine settings. They also used common phrases that were in many messages. Intelligence gathered through breaking the code was named ULTRA, and considered highly classified. It was rarely used by the British so as to avoid detection by the Germans. Cracking the code by Britain was believed to have shortened the war by about two years, and the Allies did not reveal that they had even cracked the code until 1974, due to the highly classified nature of the work that occurred at Bletchley Park. But our event occurred on the 27th of February, in Yate, just outside Bristol. And most of the information that you'll hear in this show comes from first-hand experiences by Desmond Watkins, who wrote a letter to his friend Ken after surviving the daylight attack on the Parnell Aircraft Factory. Word of the Week and bearing in mind that our story is about a aircraft factory, this week's word is... 
George, which is apparently a nickname given to the autopilot system. Another one that I found interesting was Zulu time, which is a term synonymous with UTC, or Universal Coordinated Time, which is the same as Greenwich Mean Time. Pilots file all flight plans in Zulu time. Earlier I mentioned Parnell Factory. It was a British aircraft manufacturer that evolved from a woodworking company before the First World War into a significant designer of military and civil aircraft in the 1940s. It was based in the west of England and was originally known as George Parnell & Co Limited. It started life in Park Row in the centre of Bristol, but in the 1920s, aircraft manufacturer was centralised at a factory in Yate, close to an airfield used by the Royal Flying Corps. In the 1930s, gun turrets of bomber aircraft were produced, and as you can imagine, the site was a strategic target for the Luftwaffe. Desmond's original letter was censored before it got to Ken, with references to Parnell's and what was made there crossed out, but he still talks about the bombing that started at 2.30pm on Thursday the 27th of February 1941. Joyce, Olive and I and Bill Jenner were all leaning on the radiator talking when the sirens blew. We took no notice and just leisurely drew the curtains across the windows, anti-blast precautions. Suddenly there was an awful bop, bop, bop. I bundled the girls under the table and dived in on top of them. Bill shot under his and just as I landed under the table, the whole world split into bloody fragments. The floor heaved, the air was thick with glass and bricks, steel cabinets spun in the air like gossamer, my lungs hurt, my face stung as again and again the whole universe burst into scorching, searing, bloody madness. My table groaned under the pressure of the steel girders, cabinets and debris, the sickening stench of cordite filled the atmosphere. I clung around the girls like grim death, not to protect so much as to comfort my own reeling nerves. They were crying and Joyce kept wanting to get out and run. I held her there. Bill called encouragement at the top of his voice. Desmond goes on to describe in detail the sounds of girls screaming, heard over rubble and crashes as debris flew in all directions. In that first air raid, a number of factory workers were killed. The German aircraft came in so low, they could actually see the pilot. As the three were cowering under a table, a figure came stumbling over the rubble towards them. It was Bill Jenner, who had been trying to help others. He was covered in blood and muttering. Law's dead. He's dead. He's dead. Before he scrambled back the way he came. All around was Bedlam. Girls shrieking and men shouting. The main beam had sliced the steel cabinets in two, but Desmond felt outside himself, remote, disinterested. Nowadays, we'd call that shock. Bill Jenner appears again, walks out and stands up amid the falling debris. He scrambles up a pile of loose stuff. In the distance, 
Des can hear the roar of an engine approaching, so he yells to his friend. He's coming back, for Christ's sake, get back, Bill. In the letter to his brother, Des goes on to say... The air trembled. My back and neck crawled as I waited for the awful thuds and rending crashes of more hell. We waited huddled for the world to split again. I reached out an arm and fished two tin hats under the table. Nothing came. Olive looks numbed. Frightened, I ask, and she nods dumbly. Bill's getting out again. God, what a mess. There's girls outside scream anymore. I must shout for quiet. They must stop screaming or my ears will burst. They scream on. Help me. Help me. I can't move my Wonder, wonder, where are you? I can't find you. Oh, my God. Where are you? Someone, please. Where are you? Please. Wonder, where are you? Help me. Word on the street. This week we're going to Pitch and Pay Lane in BS9, where a wooden stile at the end of the lane leading from Stoke Bishop to the Downs was the line of segregation between the plague-infested city and the countryside. The villagers brought produce to the stile and pitched or threw it over to the townsfolk, who would then throw back their coins in payment. The stile remained until the 1900s. And after that little bit of historical info, it's time to return to our tale today of the Blitz bombing the Parnell factory in Yate. During the chaos, Bill Jenner uses Dennis's nickname of Watty as he shouts, Quick, Watty, get him out of there. We're ablaze. This spurs Dennis into action. He kicked furniture out of the way, and the three of them scrambled out through the smoking shambles of their former workplace. Everyone who could run was dashing around in various directions. Mad panic etched on their faces. God, look at those cost office girls. Ragged and bloody and powder blackened. They're in heaps, all bloody and tangled. Dares dashed back inside the crumbling building to appear shortly after, carrying another stricken girl in his arms. He helped another colleague who had another man's brains streaming down his face cleaning him up only to find his arm was damaged. As he called for a stretcher and bends down to lift the man up, the poor soul rolled his head and drummed his feet under the blankets, then died. The German Heinkel plane dropped down two minutes after the siren with his cannons blazing and dropped eight bombs. Five went up and three didn't. One was a delayed action, which meant that that didn't explode until ten minutes later when people would be coming back out thinking all was clear. The attack was so sudden that nobody had managed to get to shelter for protection. Pretty little girls, jolly young men, all blood 
and rags. Dirt. 22 young draftsmen alone, as many girls, making a total round of 60 dead and 150 injuries. Dennis went on to describe some of the wounded. I could write a book on the miraculous escapes of others besides us and the awful injuries of others. How one of our fellows saw a wall about to crash on him just as it fell, a cistern blew out of the girl's lavatory, blew over his nut, the bricks peppered on there like a tin hat. He's in hospital with terrible bruises, mind, but if it had hit his head, it would have finished him. He's very annoyed about it. He said he wouldn't have minded one out of the men's bog, but one out of the girls he objected to. The works nurse was dug out of the debris after 45 minutes to give service at clearing the centre. How men refused treatment, severe cuts to enable those in pain to have full attention. How a man said when Bill pushed his handkerchief into the hole in his back. I'll see to it that it's washed and sent back. As it turns out, it was a chance sighting of the plant which at the time produced vital parts for aircraft, by German pilots that led to the first bombing on the 27th of February, in which 51 people, including manufacturers, secretaries and managers, died. The following week, on March the 7th, a further four people were killed, when the factory was targeted once again. Des wrote about this experience in his letter, saying... The siren went, first since the Blitz. We made to go. The girls leapt up and shut the door and made us stay. And then the switchboard rang. And a message came through that a man had died of fright in the shelter. He had too. Sheer bloody fright. Poor devil. And then came an imminent danger signal. Some ten minutes later, bugger me if I wasn't lying on the floor going through it all again. Two frightened men. Two frightened girls huddling in a heap in the corner. Two telephone fellows came in and got on top of the heap of us as well. Bash, bash, bash. Just tipped another eight bombs on us. I was a hundred yards away from it this time, but the terror was just as great. He raked the place with machine guns. Our guns answered. He got away with a piece shot out of his tail. I got up. Tooth and I raced down to the factory. More smoking ruins. Sixteen casualties. Five dead. Jump in Jehoshaphat, I'm bloody fed up with this. I was more scared this time. We got down to the bottom of the tarmac in time to see the same cortege of mangled souls. Smaller scale deaths, but agonies to watch. Every year, the Parnell bombing is commemorated at Yates Remembrance Day service, and a special prayer is said next to a memorial in the graveyard at St Mary's Church, which is a rare example, as it's dedicated to civilians rather than service personnel. 
One of the pilots that attacked Yate Parnell's factory was Oberlieutenant Lieutenant Herman Lohman, who flew over the target from the north and dropped the bombs from around 100 feet. The result of flying so low meant that the aircraft would be hit 15 times by the Yate air defences with their anti-aircraft fire. Lohman limped his hindquarter back to base at Bourges in France on a single engine. The past few months have been hard on everyone, including our kids. But there are lots of things we can do to support them. Every Mind Matters will help you find what's right for your kids, whether it's listening to them talk about the challenges they're facing or helping them develop skills to cope with their emotions. Supporting your children's mental well-being can help them boost their mood, feel good about themselves and be more ready for life's challenges. For NHS-approved tips and advice, visit Every Mind Matters. Today, boffins have discovered a fossilised dinosaur fart. They say it's a blast from the past. Back in the day, facts. And let's start off with the 16th of April, 1922, when Annie Oakley sets the women's record by breaking 100 clay targets in a row. On the 17th of April, 1492, Christopher Columbus signs a contract with the Spanish monarchs to find the Indies, with the stated goal of converting people to Catholicism. This promises him 10% of all riches found, and the governorship of any lands encountered. On the 18th of April, 1506, the cornerstone of the current St. Peter's Basilica is laid in the Vatican by Pope Julius II. Also on the 18th of April, but in 1985, Wham! become the first Western pop act to release an album in China. On the 19th of April, 1775, American Revolution begins in Lexington, Massachusetts. The shot heard around the world took place in Concord, later that day. And lastly, on the 20th of April, 1887, Georges Bouton wins the world's first motor race on a steam-powered quadricycle, a test organised by French newspaper The Velocipede. I wonder what those guys would make of our Formula One today. That was Jean Vincent with Race with the Devil. But now I fear it's time for me to say goodbye. But don't worry, I'll be here same time, same place, next week. But as always, I would love to thank those that really brought today's story to life. And this week we have Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio, Joe Wilson, Molly Jeffries, Carrie Ball and Andrea Reid from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as Griff. My mate off Twitter. Thank you, one and all.
The biggest thank you for this particular episode has to go to Greg Lance Watkins, as our hero, Des, was actually his father. Greg told me that his father had just left Chipping Sodbury Grammar School and his parental home. He'd been accepted for pilot training in the RAF and was working as part of the war effort until he was due to ship out from Glasgow on the SS Moulton to South Africa, where he disembarked and went on by train to Rhodesia via Durban and Johannesburg to learn to fly. He passed out as leading his class, having got his wings as a fighter pilot and returned to Britain where he flew for the balance of the war as a Spitfire pilot. I think we can all agree that Des was a hero in more ways than one. So thank you, Des, and thank you, Greg. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background... That's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>